and welcome to another episode of What Is My Podcast About? A podcast where we get together on a bi-weekly basis to talk about random topics to see if that's the thing that's going to stick for our podcast's topic. I, myself, Matthew, am hosting this episode this week, and as always, I am joined by Peter. Hello! And Keith. Hey! So how have you guys been? I have been doing my best. <laughs> That is good. That is good to hear. Yep. It's also the only thing I can say about it. <laughs> uh, I guess on uh, my side of things, I've been scouring the internet for news, as I always do. And you know what might make you feel better, a bit better there, Peter? What's that? Something got announced for getting a reboot in 2023. Do you want to take a guess? You have, you have piqued my interest. Something getting a reboot in 2023. Is it Evangelion again? No. <laughs> is it... Can you tell me what uh, form of media it falls under? Like video game, movie, comic uh, book? A TV show. TV show. A TV show getting a reboot in 2023. And it's... M- Moon Knight? Uh, no, it, well, Moon Knight's already coming out. Yeah, it, Moon Knight's already airing, Matt. You should be watching it. <laughs> I'm waiting until it finishes so I can binge it. I don't like that about you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, no, that was harsh. This rebooted, rebooted show is not produced in North America. And it hasn't, like, it's like back in the 90s when it would have originally been out. What is it? God, I don't know why. My brain's not working. Takeshi's I mean, Castle. I know. Holy shit, Takeshi's Castle's <laughs> getting rebooted. Okay, yeah, let's. I actually did hear about this. Uh, that's so fucking hype. Yeah, and um, apparently it's Amazon that's doing it, so it's going to be on Amazon Prime. <laughs> I'm fully into that because the thing is, Takeshi's Castle was great. The go the Americanized port that they brought over of Most Extreme Challenge or Elimination Challenge, uh, Elimination Challenge, uh, less so. If you try and rewatch it now, it's it aged very fucking poorly. Oh yeah, but but. Takeshi's Castle itself is still fucking a gold mine of delicious uh, nuggets. Yep. That that's how I phrased that, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but yeah, so if they're remaking Takeshi's Castle, I'm a hundred percent into that. Yeah, I, lo- I very much look forward to seeing how this comes out. Uh, it looks like they're going to go with the standard yeah. way it was in the uh, Takeshi's Castle original yeah. version. I'm very curious to find out if they're going to bring back Takeshi. I feel like. <laughs> I feel like they should, but I also feel like they won't. Well, the way I was thinking about it is, they could just be like, oh, his castle is, like, unmanned, so you, the winner, become the new Takeshi. Yeah. You gain ownership of Takeshi's castle. Yeah, that was very exciting. Uh, In other news of shows coming out, uh, Tekken is getting a Netflix series called Tekken Bloodline, which looks like it covers the plot of Tekken 3. Interesting. That is equally relevant to all three of us. We are all such big fans of that series equally. I think I've played Tekken maybe twice in my life. <laughs> Both times is me forcing you. Yeah, pretty, actually, pretty I think, much. I think we played a lot of uh, Tekken 5, Tekken Bowling, actually, together. Yes, yes. So to clarify, is the show going to also include the Tekken Bowling segment? Hopefully. Okay. So far, it looks like it only has the child endangerment section, though. If it doesn't have the Tekken bowling, I'm less interested. I'll be <laughs> honest with you. And, and then the last bit of information that uh, I found, which was interesting, uh, there's a new Ghostbusters game coming out called Spirits Unleashed. And it looks like it's 
like an asymmetric multiplayer game where there's four Ghostbusters, uh, which you get to customize your own Ghostbuster, and you go through a thing, and one person's playing like dangerous ghosts. Ooh, interesting. I do enjoy so, those asymmetric games. So Plus the like, fact that um, sorry, uh, kind of like Dead by Daylight, where you yeah. have the three people escaping and the one person trying to kill them. Yeah, that's the name of the game I was trying to remember. Kind of like a reverse version of that. Yeah. Or is you the ghost trying to escape and take them out? Uh, it looks like there might be more than just one person on the ghost side, though. I'm not sure, but we don't have that much information. We just have like a little trailer. Hmm. Uh, and it sounds like Ernie Hudson is doing the voice. So this could be the sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, uh, from uh, the Wikipedia page for it, they also say Dan Aykroyd's also going to be uh, voicing a character in it. Presumably yeah. Ray. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, his occult shop is shown in it. It looks like he's the ghost side of it. You, got, uh, you work for Ernie Hudson if you're a Ghostbuster and Dan Aykroyd if you're a ghost, which has got some weird implications for the franchise. Yeah, it kind of says a lot. He wants to expand a shrinking business. So how else can he do it except make more ghosts? <laughs> and take that as you will. Are you <laughs> suggesting that Dan Aykroyd's a serial killer? Because that's what it sounds like you're suggesting. Your words, not mine. It's like that Wikipedia page thing where it's like uh, the page on serial killers. Like, this page is incomplete. You can help by expanding it. I think I'll pass on that. You don't understand, officer. Wikipedia made me do it. Yeah, because that excuse will fly in court. But yeah, aside from that, uh, I was distracted by Moon Knight uh, and rewatching Twin Peaks, so I didn't really catch any other news. I take it Moon Knight is good. Oh, very much so. So I have something to look forward to when it finishes airing. Oh, yeah. So we've only gotten the first episode uh, as of yet, but it looks fucking like everything I wanted it to be fucking was it like two years ago when it got announced and I showed it out Moon Knight on our podcast yep um yeah it's uh everything I w have wanted it to be since then I'll put it this way the uh what episode one of Moon Knight is probably the best episode one of any of the Disney Plus franchises so far oh absolutely like a lot of the shows were good but at the same time, for quite a few of them, it took getting to, like, episode three for me to be fully sold on the show. Yeah. This show, combined with my own knowledge of Moon Knight, which I'll admit, I don't know everything about Moon Knight. He's one of my favorite superheroes, but I don't know his whole fucking mythos. But this show was exactly what I wanted a Moon Knight show to be in how it handles the characters and situations. And it's from the get-go is exactly what I want and is making me want the rest of the season released tomorrow so I can watch it all on repeat for 12 days straight. And, and that is precisely uh, what I wanted to hear with one, everything that you've told us of Moon Knight. The one beautiful thing about this too, to not get into spoiler territory, uh, Moon Knight is a very violent character and even with that, with a lot of violence in episode one, we only actually have one combat scene. Yeah. <laughs> And that, I know that could sound a bit confusing that like the series is full of violence, but there's only one actual fight in the thing, and you'll understand when you watch it. Yeah. Oh boy. There's uh, to add just a slight extra detail. There's a lot of scenes that are adjacent to violence, but we only actually get the one combat scene. Yeah. Violence adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to explain episode one of Moon Knight. It'll really make sense once you have a chance to watch episode one. Yes. 
Well, anyway, then. aside from that, it seems the uh, past two weeks have been rather uneventful. In the entertainment I have to exist. So that's what I can say. Uh, in that case, shall we get into the main topic? Yeah, I think now's as good time as ever. Well then, for those of you who <laughs> do not know what our topic's about because you're my favorite type of listener and you don't actually read the title of the podcast before hitting play on the podcast, what's today's podcast about, Matt? Today's podcast is about a movie by the title of Gunpowder Milkshake. Although, for some reason, I always want to keep calling it Bubblegum Milkshake. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, I could go for a Bubblegum Milkshake. I don't think I've ever heard <clears throat> of a Bubblegum Milkshake. I assume it's a milkshake made with bubblegum ice cream, which actually sounds horrible now that I think about it. Uh, but it. it's if it's just bubblegum flavored milkshake, then I'm into it. Actually, to be fair, I don't think I've also ever heard of a gunpowder milkshake before this movie. So, you know what? Both are fair game. Nah, I don't think I'd try a, a gunpowder milkshake, though. I, I think like it might I, be a little a little spicy. I, I feel like if someone made it, it would be filled with Pop Rocks. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, that, that could be interesting. Anyway, yeah, I feel like DM, that's DM, probably DM. how you would go about, go about making a gunpowder milkshake in real life, is you would just have a vanilla milkshake with Pop Rocks in it. Anyway, <laughs> back to the topic at hand. Uh, gunpowder milkshake is essentially about assassins. Wrap it up, we're done here. <laughs> cool, podcast done. So uh, we release our podcast on all major podcasts. No, I'll stop now. Uh, so... The movie starts off, we have like the main character in a little bit of a shootout after the aftermath of one of her missions. But then we get thrust into the story via flashback to the past, where she's just sitting in a diner waiting for her mom, who is always apparently late. And shows up. And her mom shows up, saying she's only about 15 minutes late or so, when apparently she's actually three hours late. So... She just left her daughter sitting in a diner alone for three hours. Not just any diner. A diner that is exclusively frequented by the criminal underworld, based on my understanding of yeah, Yeah, I kind of got the feel that this was the equivalent to the hotel in John Wick. Yeah, yeah. so let's kind of get ahead of that right the, now. There's... Yeah, that's the vibe I got through this whole movie, is that they were going for a very John Wick-influenced story. It, it has a lot of parallels to John Wick, but does things in its own way. So it's not just John Wick, but blank. It's just the movie and the world they construct has a lot of parallels to the John Wick world. Or universe, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it. hell, maybe yeah. it's in the John Wick universe. Yeah, like That is entirely like, possible. True. Like, case in point, this diner, which apparently has a no weapons policy. So if you, when you come in, you have to check your weapons at the door. It's not no weapons, it's no guns, because we... No, no guns, at, true, yeah. At a later scene, we see a whole bunch of people with bats and knives and all the stuff just yeah, kitted up throughout the store. If you're an assassin, I suppose you could turn anything into a weapon. If anything, that's just negligent on the diner themselves, that they're like, no guns, and they're like, shit, we forgot about everything else. Yeah. Like, how can we serve food if we can't give them cutlery? <laughs> they just give you those plastic knives. Not, even. not even knives, they're like plastic spork. Uh, uh, sp- oh fuck, what's it called? Spothifes? Uh, sp- sp- I forget I'm how you add I'm just gonna call them norks. Norks, sure. Like, not even that. It's like, here's your pudding. Uh, sorry, because of our policies, we're not allowed to give you any cutlery, so uh, you're gonna have to eat that with your hands. 
Also, yes, we recognize some of you uh, assassins are trained in hand-to-hand combat, so you will have to be handcuffed the entire time you're inside the We're restaurant. You need to as deposit well. your hands into this box. You'll get them back when you leave. It kind of sounds just like the existence of this diner. Period is just a mistake. A little bit. <laughs> but anyway, so we get the whole spiel that, uh, like, the girl's mom, the girl being Sam, and her mom Scarlet. Scarlet's job that she just did went kind of south, and she has to skip town and kind of disappear. They share a milkshake in a very, very disturbing manner. As in, they just, like, mother and daughter share a milkshake with very romantic eyes. What's romantic about I definitely didn't get that vibe, Matt. Oh, I got that vibe. <laughs> They were staring deeply into each other's eyes, and I... Eh. I just don't understand what's upsetting about a romantic dinner between mother and daughter. Hmm. <clears throat> Leaving it at that. Um, uh... <laughs> Fair. Yeah, uh... Sam hands her mother a book, which has a gun in it, and then Scarlet gets up and has to do, or make a phone call in the back. And that's when a bunch of armed men come in to try to kill Scarlet. She comes back, kills them, and makes her escape while uh, leaving Sam behind to be cared for by a good old dude named... Paul Giamatti. The... Paul Giamatti. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> uh, in the world, he's known as Nathan, but really, it's just Paul Giamatti. Yeah, so wait, he's kind wait. of the... Uh, this which, this character is kind of the HR head of a uh, organization we'll get a little bit of information on, but not much later on. Yeah, the firm. The firm. The firm. Which, uh, the craziest thing about this movie is, like, the, the opening scene has Carrie and Gillian, or uh, shown to us, is the adult Sam. Lena Headley is Scarlet. And then Paul Giamatti, I'm like, I'm all over on what this movie's trying to get at. Yeah. Also, much like in real life, Paul Giamatti plays the villain. It doesn't really come off as the villain, though. He comes across as the villain in the same sense that, like, the boss at your part-time job who keeps asking you to come in on Saturdays is the villain. Yeah, that's Uh, that's better, actually. Wait, explain it. He's just a corporate middle manager, except the corporation he middle manages is a criminal organization, and he's just passing the buck either up or down at every instance. It's not my fault that we killed your son. It's the fault of the person I hired to kill everyone in the room that your son happened to be inside of. That's the kind of shit you get from Paul Giamatti in this movie. Yeah, because at the beginning, he even tries to like resolve it without her getting injured when he sends the guys to collect the briefcase. And yeah, it's only after like... the his bosses are pretty much like, deal with it now, where he actually says, okay, fine, kill her. Yeah. yeah, because like he was charged by Scarlet to take care of her. So despite, I guess, how kind of uh, eccentric or very flamboyant with her job, Sam is when she becomes an assassin like her mother was, uh, he tries his best to cover up all of her mistakes. And so when finally this mission that she was on that the movie opened in. Uh, she's in a lot of trouble, and he gives her one more chance, saying, like, you can't mess this final job up. If you do, I can no longer protect you from uh, my bosses. 
So she tells so he tells her to go get rid of her guns because they after the mess she made, those are liable to uh they will connect all her evidence back pointing to back to her. Which is fair. Yeah. And when she goes to the bookstore, quote unquote, to get the new guns, we're introduced to my three favorite characters. Yeah. Also, hundred percent. I gotta say, they didn't do a great job with the library. In oh, what I mean, sense, Matthew? Well, okay. So, <laughs> what if someone wanted to buy books? Exactly. It's an armory <laughs> disguised as a bookstore. Like, okay, so it looks very. It just looks like a library up front. And when Sam first goes to get new weapons, they take her out back to a room hidden from the front to get new weapons, and all the weapons are stashed in books of various titles, depending on what the books are for, or what the guns are for. Which a lot of these are little jokes, too, with what's inside and what the title of the book is. Yeah, yeah. the connection between the title and the book itself. Like, then, for instance... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you, you go ahead there. I was just going to say, for instance, uh, later on when she has to acquire weapons for herself, uh, she's told to look in the self-help section, which has a whole bunch of, like, free things for any member of the, like, library to collect if they need to make a quick getaway or something. Yeah, like so it's money, just... passports. Yeah. Gold bars. <laughs> yeah. But that leads into what I was about to say. It's like, for a library that's set up to look like a library... With various different educational sections built into it, too. You'd think, yeah, this is open to the public. Um, that is a little hard to believe when every single book in the library has something in it, like a gun or a gold bar or something. I think the worst part about it... can't tell me that every morning when they're opening the doors to the public, they uh, have to swap out all of the books and put in the real books. Yeah, I think the the worst part about it while yes that is bad is the fact that like they're like secret passphrase to get to like the guns part of the building because from what we can tell there aren't guns in those books there's just money and gold bars and passports so that's less bad i guess um but to get to the secret part with the guns to buy guns uh all uh sam did was walk up and say i'd like to open an account to get some books like there's no secret passphrase or something and then they bring her downstairs say we don't like to open new accounts without a reference where should we hide the body and she has to convince them that she's someone they know from the past which means that anytime someone walks into the fucking library and says hi i'd like to open an account to get some books that person is presumably murdered within the day because they don't like selling guns to new people who don't have references and this person didn't realize that by trying to open an account to get books, they were actually asking for guns. I mean, to be fair, when she did, said that she also gave a bag full of guns, so I think context might be a thing. If someone comes in there very happy, going like, oh man, I would love to get books, can you give me the count? They might be putting two and two together. Yeah, but I'm just saying they should have some sort of passphrase in place just to like... Make it clear so that when someone does want to buy guns, they don't have to put a bunch of guns on the counter first and say, I would like to buy some books, making it very obvious to anyone in the vicinity that they're there not for gun or not for books, but instead for guns. It's like that episode of The Simpsons with the pet shop that was the front for the mafia. <laughs> what, what type of yes. rabbit would you like? A handheld rabbit or maybe a larger rabbit? I like the automatic type of rabbit. Yeah, it's essentially that. <laughs> yeah, but like... It's evident that uh, 
Like, they were focusing more on, like, the plot and the characters, and less so the setting in this. Because otherwise they could have easily done away with, I guess, all of the books in the main part of the library uh, containing something. Or they could have just uh, had it, like, not open to the public. Like, just have some sort of sign at the front saying condemned or what have you. Just, like, just to show that the public doesn't ever go in here. Yeah, I think if it wasn't for the self-help section that was full of cash and uh, fake IDs and passports and gold bars, I think it would have been perfectly fine. It's just or the inclusion the, of that one section. Or uh, the fight scene that takes place in the library later on in the movie where we just... Everything in the main entranceway, everything in the main foyer of the library just has weapons gold bars, anything that assassins would need. Yeah, if it weren't for the fact that those books contained that stuff, or the fact that the front room was clearly just set up for a fight scene later on in the movie, mm. I think it would have handled a lot better, and I wouldn't have these questions, because yeah, as you said, there was a lot of context to the fact that she was opening up books, and they probably recognized maybe there was a passphrase, but the fact that there are books out front that are just full of cash and passports and gold bars does kind of ruin any semblance that this could behave like a normal library if someone doesn't know the secrets. Yeah, the only thing I could say is there might be a sign on front that like is like, oh, to purchase anything you must have a membership to like dissuade people, but yeah, there's still going to be outliers that are going to come in and try to peruse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that aside, um, after getting her new weapons, she has, uh, she was given one more job. To make up for her mistakes, she has to do it cleanly. If not, uh, well, we're kind of uh, just hinted at the, yeah, she's probably going to get people sent after her to kill her. And uh, this particular job is she has to go get some money back from some guy who, uh, quote unquote, inadvertently stole a large sum of money from the firm. Enough money to yeah, warrant yeah. him being killed. Yeah, he stole from the firm without realizing exactly what the firm was because he's from the legal side of the business. Yes. I mean, to be fair, her mission wasn't to specifically kill him, it was just to get the money back under any circumstances. Yeah, yeah so pretty. if he lives, that's fine. If he doesn't, that's also fine. So she goes to get the money, and uh, when he goes to answer his phone after she holds him at gunpoint, she shoots him in the stomach. To be fair, I think uh, just to step back a slight bit, I think the implication was she was supposed to kill him because even if he was, or her explicit wording was retrieve the gold, you don't generally send a contract killer to pick up a parcel. It's kind of implied that if need be, you kill everyone involved in this situation. So, That's yeah, fair. they didn't explicitly the vibe, say the vibe I got yeah. from her was she was going to let him live if he didn't grab the phone. Oh, For yeah, real. but I feel like that was more so her decision just given the day that she was having, and less so uh, a condition of her employment or something. Yeah, but as soon as that phone started ringing, and you see that the phone is just like a cute little bunny, I, I knew that uh, there was more going on than just this guy stole money for someone. Well, wasn't the money also like in a Hello Kitty backpack or something like that? It was, it was like a panda. It was not a panda backpack. Yeah. yeah. Well, not even a backpack. It was a like suitcase. Uh, with, like, the extendable arm for dragging it. Yeah, like, yeah. there was rolling suitcases. But yeah, so she shoots him in the stomach because he tried to answer the phone. 
And when he's laying there bleeding out, he puts the phone on speaker. And you find out that he was stealing the money to uh, pay as ransom for some criminals that kidnapped his daughter. So now Sam feels bad. Yeah, because she has to think back to her growing up without a mother or parent of any kind. And she realizes that she might be putting this child into the exact same situation. And she and, wants to rectify that. Yes, so she takes... Uh, she takes the injured man to, uh, who's presumably a doctor that works for the firm. Yeah, Dr. Ricky. Yeah, and she's like, patch him up. It's like, I don't know what you want me to do. You kind of shot him in the stomach. That's kind of lethal. It's like, just do what you can, okay? And she goes off with the money to do the trade for the daughter. Yeah, and this is, because up to this point, we don't really get any insane action scenes but this is kind of where the action starts and i gotta say this movie had just great choreography and very stylized action scenes that were very fun to watch not even just the action like this is i would say it was very stylistic before this but once you get to the bowling alley that's when like the style hits the fucking chart and you just have neon light shining on fucking every shot it becomes a very picturesque movie after this um Although, I do have to say that while the fights are stylized and fun to watch, if you pay attention in them, you can see that there's a lot of just open air in the fighting with all of the, I guess, the participants who aren't really doing anything. They're just kind of flailing around doing nothing. And, uh... uh it, are you talking about kind of like the, um... In the Star Wars prequels movies, whenever there's a lightsaber fight, you can see them just not even trying to hit each other and just, like, bouncing off, even though their lightsabers aren't colliding, like, that kind of thing, where it's just, like, people playing at fighting, but it's clear they're not actually trying to fight. Yeah, that that kind of thing. But uh, most of it is all fine throughout most of the movie. My biggest gripes are for the fight scene at the end of the movie, and we'll get to that when we get to that. Oh, the diner Fair. one, or the... At, at the very end. Oh, okay. <clears throat> but yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that. So yes, so, the first real fight scene we have is the one in the bowling alley, because that's where she was told to bring the money to get back the little girl. Yes, and uh, the firm sent uh, the three boneheads, as Sam calls them, to uh, rough her up to make sure she does the job and doesn't do anything stupid. Well, it's more so to just get her to return the money right away instead of doing anything stupid with the money. Yeah. Which is her current plan is to do something stupid with the money, which is use it to pay someone's ransom and then steal it back as soon as the child's safe. Yeah. But judging from the setup of the movie, uh, we know that's not going to happen. So she quickly beats up the boneheads in a very stylized fight and goes to make the drop. And uh, gotta admit, that was a very interesting setup. They had uh, the, the kid in a shopping cart, and they had a shopping cart at the other end of the, I guess, the old movie store, or whatever they were in. It's essentially a blockbuster. Yeah, good old blockbuster. <laughs> anyway, so they had her put the money in the shopping cart by her, and then they wheeled the shopping carts down the aisles to the other end. And, uh, just watching the, the bad guys grab the money and run all ecstatic and happy, it was kind of funny. It was even funnier when they started turning on each other afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as they're in the car and they start turning on each other to get the money for themselves. Yeah. And uh, 
I think my favorite detail of that, though, is uh, it's like after Sam made sure that the kid was unharmed and safe, she told her to stay there. I'll be right back for you. And runs, grabs a broom, snaps the broom. She's like, you're like, okay, they have guns. You have a wooden broom handle. Okay, what are you going to do with that? Um, the leader of the uh, the Three Stooges, or the Four Stooges of the villain squad, um, is the last survivor of their shootout when uh, one of them decides to be greedy and try to betray the rest of them. Um, he's wearing a vampire mask. <laughs> oh, yeah, She's, and she stakes she him, through, him the heart. through the heart. <laughs> he had yeah, to make sure. <laughs> Very good scene. I enjoyed that. I know this uh, is just a awesome. mask, but just in case. Well, I also, also enjoyed the part uh, with the grenade too. Like, what the fuck? Why do you have a grenade? Oh yeah. <laughs> Throws the grenade and blows up the money. She's like, oh well, lovely. Another minor detail in the vampire was killed with a stake through the heart. There's also another character who was wearing a. Uh, Frankenstein mask who dies in the burning car so he dies to fire in a Frankenstein mask so there's a lot of nice little symbolism mm. going on with them um, yeah, that's uh, really so the just, humor of this movie where they have like those little nods but it's not like directly telling you the joke like with the books and these guys being killed in their monster fashions yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just want to go back a little bit uh, to talk about something that the movie does that I think is really cool because we established that there's a lot of uh, parallels to John Wick in this movie, but one of the things I think it does very differently from John Wick is throughout John Wick, the main way he kills people is by shooting them, but they do a very good job in this movie of establishing why she just doesn't have guns in most of these situations and has to kill people with her bare hands or with improvised weapons, because she initially picks up guns, but when she gets to the bowling alley to collect the child, she has to leave uh, her guns inside a locker so she can't take them with her to that fight scene. And she never clothes. gets to go back. She was forced yeah. to change into other clothes to make sure she didn't have any concealed weapons. Yeah. Uh, she later on picks up a gun uh, that she had left at the fucking doctor's office before, but immediately after picking up the gun gets both her arms fucking paralyzed so she can't use the gun properly. She does end up coming up with a technique that we'll get into. But throughout the movie, there are lots of fight scenes which aren't just resolved by her shooting every single one of the other people because they could do a good job of explaining why she doesn't have access to unlimited guns at that point. So we get a lot of uh, clever uses of weaponry, and it's not just her shooting every enemy in every fight scene. We get cool choreography because they come up with reasons for her not to just have guns at that situation. Yeah, she barely ever shoots anyone in the movie. Like, mainly the guys in the intro sequence that she shot, and uh, the guy she shot in the stomach. Yeah, and then yeah. Well, she kind of uses a gun in the uh, hospital-ish place yeah. and then also in the final showdown, she uses a gun for a bit. But mm. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so she saved the girl, lost the money, um... Oh yeah, we should specify that when the grenade goes off, it is lying right next to the suitcase full of money, so... Collecting the money no longer an option. No, it's it's shredded in pieces and burned. Um, that puts a hit on her head. Yep. Yeah, it was more Paul so. She lost, yeah, she lost all the money, so Paul Giamatti couldn't protect her anymore. And yeah, as we kind of referenced point, earlier, yeah, at this point, uh, he finds out that the mission she had sent her on earlier resulted in Sam killing 
McAllister, son of a power crimi- criminal, a powerful criminal dude. McAllister. Yeah, His McAllister. name is McAllister. Yeah, so uh, uh, to avoid McAllister retaliating against the firm, because apparently he should be feared, um, he gives up her current location. He's like, yeah, this is the person that killed your son. We're sorry we had... Uh, this was entirely her doing. The firm had nothing to do with it. Uh, this is her last known location, so uh, go at her. Yeah, I think the idea behind it wasn't so much that they're scared of going uh, fighting this guy. It's more so both the organizations are so big that it would be long and bloody and bad for business. Mm. To be fair, I feel like that is one of the spots of this movie uh, dances around things that cause a bit of confusion for me because during the opening credits and during later scenes, Sam is heard describing the firm as a secret organization that run, that no one knows about unless they're on the inside of it. And they're the biggest criminal organization in the world. And yet, while they're, as you say, they're not exactly scared of working dealing with Alistair, like, they clearly recognize that Alistair poses a threat to their organization and they're unwilling to try and fight against him. But that the fact that they never really explain... They go to the detail of explaining that the firm is in charge for all criminal activity on Earth, essentially. But they never really explained how Alistair fits into that and how he's a big threat to the firm. Always felt a little bit strange to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's clear it's not the important part to the movie, so they didn't elaborate on it because oh, yeah. it's just supposed to be, well, she's stuck between these two massive forces and how is she going to get out of it? And they're both. Oh, yeah, I get that. It's just one of those things where it could have benefited from having an extra line of dialogue explaining it. Yeah. Yeah, so with that conflict out of the way, um, she takes the little girl back to uh, the hospital where she left her bleeding out father. father. Her father, who's definitely still alive. And nope, he's wrapped up in a body bag in the chair now. Fun fact, also at the hospital are the three boneheads who are just hopped up on Goofy Juice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> laughing, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Wheeling themselves towards their room, just laughing their asses off is probably one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, they're all fucking crippled at this point. Uh, the, like quote-unquote leader of the Boneheads makes a comment about how he'll probably never walk again after that altercation and he's just fucking giggling to himself throughout that entire prospect. Uh, yeah, and they're just fucking hobbling through the hallway is the only way we can describe their form of locomotion. Yeah, yeah. And it's up just... on laughing gas, just laughing maniacally. And yeah. while they're there being spoken to by the doctor, uh, they get a call from the firm saying that they are now all cleared to kill Sam. And so the Which doctor... For them. Yes. And then uh, the doctor comes up with the plan, okay, I'm going to give you a window of opportunity here. I'm going to paralyze both her arms, and then you take that chance and kill her. But a key detail here is that the drug he's injecting her with that will paralyze her arms takes 60 seconds to get its full effect. So after he injects her, they need to wait 60 seconds before trying to initiate the fight, which is just the perfect amount of time for her to prepare a countermeasure, we think. Yes. So he manages to uh, get close enough to put in the injections because, well, Sam got shot in the arm, and he initially uses the excuse that he's going to treat her. And she declines the treatment, so he just goes for the jab and gets the jabs. 
and then runs and dives for Conifer and showed 60 seconds, guys, 60 seconds. Because, you know, if he doesn't get out of there, he feels like he's a dead man. Oh, probably. Even if he does get out of there, if she also gets out of there, he's probably a dead man. Yes. If not for... An uh, eight and three quarters year old girl? Eight and three quarters year old girl. <laughs> Which, the dynamic between her and the girl, because really this kind of turns into she has to survive, and she's the girl's kind of stuck with her for throughout the night because she's the only one that can use arms, is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do like how it evolves from her just keeping the girl with her because she needs someone to use her arms to the girl repeatedly referring to herself as Sam's apprentice. Yeah. Uh, a very good dynamic and growth in that relationship. That's some D&D uh, energy right there. Yeah. Yep. I'm her apprentice. Wait, I've never agreed to this. But yeah, so uh, with her arms paralyzed, she gets the girl to... Uh tape a gun into her one hand and then tape a knife into her other hand so she can just flail her arms also I believe she attaches metal pans to the wheelchair or herself yeah metal uh, pans to, to the back of a chair so she can use them as a shield oh yeah and also gets the girl to loop her finger around the trigger of the gun so when she fl- flails her arm she can pull the trigger yeah cause I think she still has yeah. some use of her fingers <laughs> yeah but she is not accurate at all in that manner. Yeah, her flailing arm and trying to hit the trigger at the right time. I think she only managed to land like one or two bullet shots. Yeah. The rest were uh, the rest of that fight was her positioning one of the boneheads in between her and another, and the teammates just killing each other's. There was also uh, the two repeated moments of her using her arm that's holding a scalpel, flailing it into someone's neck. And then spending a solid 30 seconds trying to wrench it out because oh, she doesn't yeah. have the leverage to pull it away. <laughs> yeah. uh, and having to like do a backflip off the wall to get the knife out of their neck. Yeah, I think this fight was probably, even though like the other ones are cooler, this is probably my favorite fight in the whole movie. Mm. Yeah. I and think this some, one... some of the attacks did seem a little sloppy, uh, this was certainly the, more, the most well-thought-out fight sequence. I, I think... I prefer this one purely because this one feels the most creative and like I can't think of another movie where it's a whole bunch of people who are trained at killing but have such aggressive handicaps put on them that they end up looking like drunk teenagers trying mm-hmm. to fucking murder each other. Yeah. So it they balance each other out very well. And uh, the way she finishes off the final bonehead. Uh yeah, drops the giant stone tooth on him. Yep, the stone yep. tooth that uh all the assassins are, once again, told to check their weapons and put them in there before they go into the hospital. But yeah, drops it on his head and crushes his skull. And then we end up getting a payoff to the doctor when they're in the elevator, where it's like, oh, you only live because of her. Yep. Yeah. Keep in mind, she's, you're she's about to kill him. Trying to lift up an eight and three quarter year old girl. <laughs> it was kind of funny, too, because she's just standing there looking at the doctor, just cowering in the corner of the elevator. And she tries to prop her gun up by lifting her leg to push her arm into position. <laughs> yep. The doctors even try to counter it. <laughs> yeah, then we get a, we- a weird, uh, an interesting car scene. Oh, the driving scene where, because she doesn't have arms, well, she has arms, she doesn't have the use of her arms. Uh, the child does all the steering while the Sam uses her legs to power the gas and brakes and just calls out hard left, hard right to try and get everything to work out. Yep, 
and the child goes from barely being able to keep the vehicle going straight to being an excellent driver. She becomes a precision driver with her eyes closed, understanding exactly what hard left and hard right means while her eyes are closed. Yeah. I mean, it's just a good indication she's going to be a good assassin. Assistant, or apprentice. She's an apprentice to become an assassin. Aside from that, there's not really much else to say about this fight. Aside from they kill most of the guys after them by, uh, I guess, ramming them into things. Oh, yeah. vehicles, they ram into a forklift, and it decapitates a guy. It starts out with Sam being coordinated enough to almost evade capture and get away without them noticing, uh, only for the child uh, to kind of sigh and accidentally hit the button as she's sighing, causing the car horn to beep. Oh yeah, no, they were they were ducking down to avoid being seen. Yeah. Right. But yeah, then they kill a bunch of people with a car and then get out. And at this point, Sam's arms are starting to work again. Well, by the next time we have a fight Mm -hmm. scene, her arms are fully working. Yeah, and this is kind of, uh, I guess, why I never really saw Paul Giamatti's character as the villain of the movie is because they end up going to a safe house that he informed her of, which also is the spot where her mother is. Yeah. Although I have a couple questions about this that they don't ever explain is that after this little car scene, they receive a message saying, okay, this is your one last chance to escape. I'm giving you the address of a safe house. You can go there and pick up some supplies I left for you to try to escape and survive. The so they go to a safe house. Yeah. <laughs> Like they go to the safe house, try to get into the room where there's apparently supplies there, and uh, meet Sam's mother, who's apparently been hiding in that apartment. To clarify, she's not hiding. Yeah, Yeah. the apartment next to the apartment that apparently has the supplies. So my question is, um, did uh, did Nathan know that? her mother was there, and was that the supplies he left for her? Or was there actual useful supplies in the door that they just abandoned? I think the intention was to get her back to her mother. Uh, I don't think it was like a, you know, she just happened to be living next door situation. (laughs) To be fair, it's just never explicitly said that what, what was going on. And the mother does make a point about how she hasn't had contact with Nathan or anyone else in the last 15 years. So... If it was that he was trying to connect her with the mother, how he knew that the mother was there is a whole other question. Yeah, it's... Your interpretation could be right, Keith. It's just, it's... There's not enough evidence for me to accept that myself. Yeah, because my, my my interpretation of it was Nathan obviously would have, I think, helped the mother go into hiding. So I think, even though they haven't been in contact, he probably knew that's where she went. Which is why, even if it was a safe house, why no one else ever went there uh, would be the implication. Maybe. So, uh, so I think it was an off-the-book safe house, quote-unquote, that mm. she was staying at because that's where you're saving. And he, he just told uh, Sam that, oh, it's a safe house where you'll find some stuff. It's a logical jump, but judging from all of the logical jumps that you're kind of forced to make through the movie, uh, it's still a possibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, while Sam I... and her mother are catching up, uh, the girl, though. What's the girl's name? Uh, anime. Wait, no, no, no. That was one of the librarians. Oh, anime is one of the librarians. Yeah, yeah I think you're thinking of uh, Emily. Um, uh, Emily's the name of the girl. Yes, 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 yes. 
Yes, Emily's the girl. So uh, while so Sam and her mother are catching up, Emily is just watching some TV. In well, the... Even before that, we get the fun uh, exchange in the hallway where she's like, oh my god, am I a grandmother? Oh, oh yeah. What? No! <laughs> and I believe this is where she gets. we get the first her mentioning she's her apprentice. Yeah. And uh, while Emily's watching TV, she's just flipping through channels and then flips to a security cam feed and sees... The henchman of Mr. McAllister coming up to the building. And so they start trying to make their escape, and Sam's like, Hey, Mom, you have a plan? You always have a plan. I don't have a plan. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, let's here. go I to this explicit place that my my plan fits with. I did a, I did very much enjoy the, while we're getting out of here, I called an Uber flirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they go down and they go down in the elevator and I don't know why they decided to stop at the the main floor. Because that's where the Uber was going to pick them up. I think sincerely the mother's plan was to take an Uber away from there and had to fall to her backup plan after that didn't work out. That she didn't apparently have. <laughs> so they went to she a wasn't willing room. to admit having. Yeah. Yeah, they went to the laundry room. There's a tunnel hidden in one of the one of the laundry machines. So they crawl through the, the tunnel, come out in a fridge or some storage locker of a restaurant or something. Yeah. And uh, the chef in the kitchen is very confused. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty much just them DSX mocking themselves into the library. Yeah. Yeah. Although this is another issue that I had. It's like when they leave the building and they're trying to figure out where to go, Sam points out the library. And so they run off to the library and they get into the library. And then it's not until a few minutes later that the villains come out when they're already in the library and they're looking around where they went. And the villains like, I see them through the building in the library down there. I don't think it, so. This is another one. I can see your confusion. But I didn't interpret this as I see them, and more so just, hey, that's an interesting building, let's check that out. And it just happened to work out fucking perfectly for I the I mean, villains. considering this is a library that sells guns to assassins, and this other group also has assassins, I don't think it's a logical leap to assume that they knew that was the hideout spot, right, for the guns? Yeah, hmm. they knew that this happened to come out near a relatively well-known gun shop, so they could have thought to... Let's check it out. That might be... They might have gone there to pick up guns to fight us with. Because uh, we already know that the uh, Sisterhood of Assassins, I think is the name of the organization, isn't part of the firm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they get in, have a touching reunion with, uh, with the three librarians. I love the whole swearing thing that goes on here, too. Fudge you, no fudge you. <laughs> There's a child present. Yeah, so they start making ready to make their escape through the back via a van. And uh, Sam decides to stay behind to let them uh, escape because this is her problem. She doesn't want to drag anyone else in. Which is commendable. Well, she's her mother cleaning up just after leave she's good with that. Yeah. Which is like... A fucking harsh burn on her mother. Yep. Then her mother decides, I'm not going to leave my daughter to die. 
It goes time. back to help her. <laughs> Everybody gets one. I've already done it. Everyone gets one sick case of abandoned magicians. <laughs> then the fight scene in the library happens, where they're pulling random things out of books, and Sam just can't get a gun, but just keeps finding random things that she keeps using, like a gold bar that she smacks someone with. I mean, that would probably hurt. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like a gold bar to the face would not feel good. It'd feel great. Yeah, interesting fight sequence. Lots of uh, surprising items coming out of books. <laughs> Some way to put it, I suppose. Yes. And uh, really the greatest weapon of all was inside the books as well. Knowledge. Yes. <laughs> the knowledge was were... in the books. To be fair, when they were giving her books uh, full of guns in the earlier scene, that had one of my favorite jokes as well, which was them handing her a bunch of books that are full of guns, and then uh, Carla Gugino's character, I forget what she was called. Madeline. Uh, Madeline. Handing her just, like, another book and be like, Agatha Christie, for reading. And that's just the addition of, like, yes, we're gun salesmen, but we're also librarians, mm-hmm. and you should also read. It's important to do that. Yeah, the three librarians were uh, Madeline, uh, Anime, and Florence. Uh, yeah. yes. Angela Bassett and Michelle Yeoh in order. Yeah, so... And we have scenes of the three librarians fighting in different rooms. One of them's using chains. Uh, Florence, Michelle Yeoh's character. Yeah, he's yes. in chains. Uh, Yeah, and Actually, uh, that reminds me of my, one of my favorite callback jokes because er, er, earlier when uh, Karen Gillan's character Sam goes there and has the tomahawk, they were like, "Oh, we were wondering where that one went." Oh yeah, yeah. And then Madeline I was looking for it for years. Then yeah, Madeline ends up using the tomahawk to defend Emily after first expending all the ammunition in the big machine gun on the top of the van. Yeah, defending against uh, the nephew character, who's the nephew of uh, McAllister slash cousin of the boy who died at her hands. Yeah, Virgil's yeah. hands. I'm sure it is. I was watching the subtitles, and they only ever addressed him as nephew throughout the movie, but <laughs> they're more than welcome to give him a name in the script that they just don't say in the movie, but yeah. I had fun times just reading characters like McAllister this, Madeline this, Nephew this. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's Virgil Nephew. That's his name. Uh, that's a very unfortunate name. The guy named Matthew. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know why that was a dig at your name. <laughs> I mean, who's really the math for? But yeah. Uh, the Nephew kills Madeline. And uh, makes off with Emily. Which is a shame, because while I liked a lot of the characters, Madeline was definitely my favorite character because of those little moments, like her obsession with the tomahawk or her handing over an actual mm. book while also handing over books full of guns. Yeah. She was fun. Yeah, I think she was probably the most fun character in the cast. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably the reason that they decided that she was going to be the librarian to die. Yeah, you formed the better. No such thing as a fun librarian. Oh, I suppose you had the connection that too. I assumed it was just the writer having a stance on the concept of fun librarians. (laughs) They're not allowed to exist. (laughs) There's no fun in this public facility of library. It's a lie. The fun or the books? Well, I guess both in this situation. 
No, yeah. the Because there aren't any books, apparently, except for that one. That one Agatha Christie book. Well, and beginning. now that she's handed it now that she's handed it over to Sam, there are no books left in that library. It's, like, it's all like, gone. There we go. We've gotten rid of all the books. Now we can close this to the public. <laughs> that was the one loophole that was keeping us open. <laughs> we he couldn't just throw away the book either. But yeah, so uh old uh funeral for uh for Madeline. And they get a call on the phone. Sam is to come to the diner alone to exchange herself for Emily's freedom. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, uh, even though she says she's going alone, I never once had the suspicion that it was going to be like that type of ending. Oh, yeah, no. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah there's no way gonna... the mother's just willingly handing over her daughter to this guy. Yeah. You're at a funeral surrounded by assassins who want revenge on the people who killed their friend. <laughs> Well, there's no plan, so I guess we'll just watch our daughter die. Yeah, so she goes in, um, has a little conversation with McAllister at the diner. And, uh, so Sam begs him to let Emily go, and he's like, oh yeah, I will, but first I'm gonna make her watch me torture you. And that's when, uh... in case it's unclear at this point, McAllister's not a good dude. Yeah. Kind of a bad guy. A little bit. In fact, if you're unwilling to accept Paul Giamatti as a villain, not even his character, just Paul Giamatti the person. If you're unwilling oh, to no, accept no, no. him as a Paul villain... Paul Giamatti is definitely a villain. I'm just saying his character okay. That's fair. Uh, if you're unwilling to accept Nathan as a villain, then he would most likely be the one you would consider to be the villain of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when uh, reinforcements show up. Scarlet shows up. No one respecting the no gun rule. Oh yeah, no, no. All, actually, all three of them. If you work at the diner, are guns. you allowed to have a gun? In which case, did they actually go through like a speedy like application process to become official workers at the diner just so they could do? This? I don't. I don't know. It would have been nice if that was explained. <laughs> I assume that yeah, they uh, handed in resumes, had little talks, got hired at the thing. I don't even think they brought in the guns. I think those were guns that Alistair's goons handed over when they walked in because to bring their own guns. Like, I mean, we take these guns from you. No one says we're not allowed to then turn around and use these guns, so... Yeah, there was no ticket that... system for, like, whose guns are whose, so anyone could have just walked up and said, yeah, that's my gun. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, there we go. Uh, that's presumably mm. what happened. Yeah, so, uh... Yeah, Scarlet holds, uh, McAllister at gunpoint with a big old shotgun. He's like, yeah, no... Things are not going to go your way. We're just going to kill you here so we don't have to deal with this anymore. So uh, Sam walks out. Shootout starts. Scarlet shoots Big Bad McAllister in the head, killing him. All the villains get up and retaliate. We get a slow motion fight sequence. And this is the fight sequence that I had the most problems with. (laughs) Mainly because it was a single shot panning sweep in slow motion. Oh yeah, like, sure, sure you have these lots shots of time to be... see everything that doesn't make sense. Yeah, these shots can be really nice if done well with good choreography. Except that this wasn't. Case in point, when I was paying attention to every little detail that was happening in screen because I had time because of the slow motion, the main offender that pops out right at the beginning is in the far wall 
you see one guy stand up with a hammer. He comes to start swinging it down slowly. Then he stops swinging it down and starts to recoil his hammer, bring his strike back. And he reacts like he got shot and starts to uh, fall over. And then his blood pack goes off. <laughs> That's fair, pretty bad. What if it wasn't actually a goof and that one guy is just a background character that knew this was probably going to go south? So he's acting like he got shot so they'll leave him alone. And then he got and shot. And unfortunately he got shot even while acting like he had already been shot <laughs> because the three assassin sisters are better than that. Yeah. And then um, the shot continues to pan. And you see a bunch of guys flailing around doing nothing until they're inevitably shot. And then at the end, there's the last guy who tries to jump out the window to escape. Yeah, it's Virgil. And Yeah, and it's then definitely, uh, yeah. just the angle, though, that he's shot from doesn't line up with his bullet wounds in the slightest. Yeah, it's a little awkward. I did kind of enjoy that detail because as you're watching the like slowly panning uh, scene, you can see the nephew slash Virgil, if you want to call him that, uh, pick up a gun off the counter that had been put there and then watch the glass get shattered, hold someone up to like cover him from them and try and jump out the window. And it almost seems like they're building up him getting away and a final showdown between him and Sam, only for then Michelle Yeoh's character to do a slight turn and just shoot him in the back twice while he's jumping through the window. No one escaped yeah, the angle. Yeo. Yeah, so like, yeah, the angle does not line up, you're right, but... It's like, the angle she was at to shoot him, the shot should have went into his back. But no, they, uh, you don't see the entry wound, and you see the exit wound on the right side of his torso. Don't worry about it so much. Yeah, that scene's over now. Yeah, it's over now, you don't have to watch it again. They were trying to do something neat, and they perhaps didn't have as much choreography as they perhaps needed. I mean, if anything, I'm just concerned that Matt's critiques are all about the fight scenes about that's not what it's actually like, and I have to wonder how many people Matt's killed. Mm. Oh, don't wonder anymore. It's in the th triple digits. Oh, okay. When did you I last give you a that statistic? I won't give you the specific number, because if I do, Matt will uh, increase the number by one, and I don't need to be specific <laughs> about who the one is, <laughs> but I'll tell you it's in the triple digits. Triple digits, positive or negative? How do you negatively kill someone? Well, that's the whole different statement there. <laughs> I don't want to know. Now that I think about it, I don't need to know about your personal life, Matt. Now, however many negative people you kill, you go right ahead and have fun. Also, however many people you positively kill. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess negatively killing someone is technically putting life into the world, so Matt has a lot of children. Yeah, that's why I don't need to know the details about how many people Matt has negatively killed. This is private life and none of our business. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, that's the diner scene. And the next real scene we get is a little bit of Sam and Emily talking at a cottage interspaced with uh, them having a final goodbye with Nate. Kind of wrapping up that last plot line. Yeah. And uh, Emily goes to Nathan's home as a Girl Scout. He's like, I, I hey, like, you want some cookies? I it's like either that, that or you die. I like that he immediately catches on to what's going on, but still gets duped by it. Yep. He's like, where are your cookies? Why are you holding a book? Uh, and then, yeah, still gets duped. Where's Sam? Oh, she's not here. Look at your chest. 
sees the red dot of a sniper rifle. The note that uh, was inside the book, because the book didn't hold a gun, it held oh, yeah. a single note of paper. And it was a Bible passage about look into your heart. And he's like, uh-huh, you want me to look into my heart? And then he thinks about it for a second, looks down and sees the laser dot on his fucking chest. Is he? Yeah. He's like, oh. Yeah, you got me right now. So it's either he dies now, or he lets them walk. And doesn't send anyone else after them. Which, to be fair, he points out that he's not really in charge of making that decision. Uh, to which uh, uh, Sam responds, you don't make the decision, but you're going to very carefully explain to the people who do make the decision why it would be a terrible decision to make to continue sending people after us. Otherwise, uh, they're all going to start to disappear. Because apparently they're the best assassinations of the organization or something. I don't know. Never really explains that. But apparently her words had weight. Yeah, she also knows where every single... She knows who every single member of the board is and knows where all of them live, so... More than comfortable killing a whole bunch of people. It'd be a shame if they just moved. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. That's the movie. Whether or not there will be a second one remains to be seen. Actually, if they're even uh, planning on making a second one. Apparently, they're already working on making a second one. Oh, okay. So it doesn't remain to be seen. It has already been seen. Yeah, well, the movie uh, has. Re- the movie remains to be seen. <laughs> because it's not out to see yet. Yep. Yeah, but last year they uh, said that they are uh, working on something that's uh, working to be a sequel. Uh, no details on what that means, if it's going to be the same characters in the same world or something along those lines, but... Uh, we might be seeing something this year uh, as a trailer of some sort, but we haven't okay. had anything actually get officially done aside from that they're working on it. You heard it here first, folks. Look forward to seeing Gunpowder Cheesecake in theaters in December. <laughs> in France, the movie's called Blood Milkshake. Hmm. That is both more understandable as an item and also much more upsetting as a thing to consume. Yes. And also a little more accurate to the opening sequence where there's blood on the glass of milkshake after the uh, flashback fight sequence. Well then, uh, that's the movie. What did everyone think of it? It was pretty good. Had a couple plot holes throughout the thing, and obviously the fight sequences that I voiced my grievances on, but other than that, it was enjoyable. Yeah, it had, uh, even though we've already kind of carefully explained how it was different from John Wick, it had the same issue with John Wick that I had or that I had with John Wick which was when you try and build a whole new creative world but don't spend a lot of effort in world building there end up being things that don't make a huge amount of sense oh yeah Um, and there's one more detail that you just reminded me of with the whole kind of comparison between uh, this movie and John Wick is that how in John Wick pretty much everyone in the world seems to be an assassin and when a kill order goes out everyone just around the world their phones light up and they check their phones. In uh, this movie, when uh, the villains of McAllister's organization got her location and were being sent to take her out, um, all of them were riding on a bus together, and their phones go off, and they all look at the same time. Like, that's kind of redundant. Well, they were already out looking for her. I think they just got the information of where she was. Yeah, I know, but still, like, sure, they were showing pretty much the same thing as uh, John Wick, Whenever there's a kill order sent out, all the assassins get the information. But they were all together on the same bus. 
it was a little excessive to have every single one of them side by side pulling out their phones and looking at it. Uh, fun comparison now that you bring up that uh, detail of John Wick. Is in John Wick, it's just kind of implied that like everyone on Earth is an assassin. Uh, but we see like fights happening around supposedly regular people. I don't think we actually saw a single non-assassin character in this movie. Or, or someone who wasn't directly tied to the firm, even if they weren't necessarily an assassin. True. Like, the one yeah. exception you could make is Emily, but by the end of the movie, she has declared herself to be an apprentice to an assassin, so she still kind of fits within that method, so... We don't have explicit proof that anyone in the world isn't an assassin in this movie. True. <laughs> and going by that logic, it is. I think it's safe to say that the second Gunpowder Milkshake movie will probably be them going against the firm. Uh, I don't, so anyways, I don't yeah. think the higher-ups will be uh, too happy of uh, how this movie ended. With the exception of those few minor plot holes, uh, I would say I found the movie a thoroughly enjoyable thing to watch. Yeah, I very much enjoyed this movie, too. It was very different from these types of movies, uh, and it had a lot of like John Wick in, uh, influences, which in itself, like, you, don't, you can't really go wrong being John Wick, I would say. No. No. You can and go like, wrong being in a, nice in a John just... Wick movie, but you can't go wrong being John Wick. True. And in a nice juxtaposition between the two movies is that John John Wick was a very serious movie, where this one was definitely not serious. Oh, yeah. It was definitely having fun with itself, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely worse comparisons we could be making than saying this film was very similar to John Wick. What were your thoughts, Keith? Did you like it? Yeah, this movie was really good. Uh, I believe the reason we're recovering this one is I mentioned I'd watched it and thought it was really good and convinced yes. you guys to watch it, so we decided to do it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well then, shall we move on? Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Now that we've covered that, uh, yeah, so do you guys have any recommendations? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I I can go first, I guess. I don't know why I got concerned there. <laughs> uh, so I want to recommend uh, the movie Only God Forgives. Uh, it stars Ryan Gosling. It's directed by the same dude who did Drive, if you've watched that movie. Uh, but uh, it's all about a drug trafficker in uh, Thailand who uh, has to go on a mission to kill uh, the people who killed his older brother. Um and it's very dark, but it has a lot of the same like stylistic features to this movie, where this movie was a little bit sillier that uh, Only God Forgives is a bit more serious, but it still has a lot of those stylistic, like very neon-heavy, very like picturesque scenes. Um, so if you enjoyed this one, enjoyed the crime drama, but hoped it'd be a bit more drama and a bit less uh, action-y, um, I'd recommend checking out Only God Forgives. Hmm. Only God Forgives has action. I just mean it takes itself a bit more seriously than this one did. Not that that's a bad thing to not take yourself seriously as a movie. Sometimes you just want a fun movie to put on and enjoy. Yeah. Uh, my recommendation is in the same vein, but goes the opposite into the less serious, and that's Kingsman The Golden Circle. Ooh. Another great suggestion. Yeah, and uh, another one that 
I I still have to actually watch that one. Yeah, a really good movie. Uh, does a lot of jokes at its own expense, which is pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's got the yeah. same kind of vibe as Gunpowder Milkshake with the uh, stylized action scenes and pulling things off in a certain way. But also has a hundred percent more Elton John than uh, Gunpowder Milkshake. Yep. Take that as you will. Very well. What's your recommendation, Matthew? My recommendation is, uh, again, in relation to ninjas, and also very stylized, if you will call intense blood and gore a style. Is it the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? No. It is Ninja Assassin. Oh no, not that one. (laughs) God no, Matt. Oh, come on. It's it's got a very simple plot. It's uh, essentially... The main character is raised in a uh, clan of assassins and goes rogue when uh, the clan kills his sister when she tries to escape. And so now he does everything in his power to thwart the clan's assassination attempts. And uh, it's an enjoyable movie, and despite all of the blood and gore, you get quickly desensitized to just how much there is in the movie. It's got really good fight sequences, though. So, it has that going for it. Fair enough. But yeah. So it's a question for the audience today, then. What would you do if you walked into a library and opened up a book to find a gun (laughs) in it? Or, or, or in a similar, in a similar vein, what's your best like? Oh fuck! I hate that I'm asking people for this, but best like pun-ish thing for like title of book slash what is found inside said book. Uh, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I'm trying to think of book titles right now, which is not a great spot to be at. No, or or like the self-help section in the movie. It's like, what would you find in books in uh, a language section? Would it be along the vein, along the lines of uh, finding? It would be a book that you open up, and there's a smaller book inside of the book. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) a very, a very dense and heavy dictionary, like a solid bar of gold, except more book. I would like to think that uh, the uh, book, the Time Machine, would just have like a pipe bomb in it with like a very clear clock. (laughs) The Time Machine Uh, doesn't send you back in time. It may stop time. But only for one person or a bunch. Oh, like Doctor Jekyll, yeah. Mister Hyde has like uh, like a adrenaline shot in it. Uh, I'd like to believe the book uh, Fahrenheit four fifty one just has a fucking Molotov inside of it. Not even an unlit Molotov. There's just a lit Molotov inside this book somehow. <laughs> Our question for perspective changing media. What yep. what did people come up with for that? Uh, so uh, we had the answer from uh, Tachi underscore Camargo on Instagram, who stated inventing Anna. Do you guys know about this one? Can't say that I do. Uh, it so, rings a fucking bell, but I so don't know. It's the story of Anna Delvey, who uh, pretended to be a rich person and got in with a bunch of rich people and then almost ended up owning a building in New York because of it. And it's pretty good. Hmm. She pretty much, like, you know, barded her way to, like, the top of, like, the rich people in New York. Nice. Interesting. I can see how that would uh, have the eye-opening effect that we were discussing in our last podcast. 
Yeah, really, it highlights that it's about who you know, not uh, what you know. Yeah. Right. As for guessing today's episode, though, let's take a look, see if anyone correctly guessed it. Uh, so we had two guesses. Uh, we had another one from Tachi underscore Camargo, who actually correctly guessed Gunpowder Milkshake. Oh. Congratulations, Tachi Camargo. Yes. Congratulations. Uh, I Well, uh, I did put the song from the ending credits onto the thing, so if you know the song, it might have been easy. Hmm. Might have been a little bit of an extra helpful thing. Uh, and, and also, uh, if you listen to one of our previous episodes where we said we were probably going to be that covering this in a future episode. <laughs> so just didn't recognize anything from it. It's like, I'm going to just take a shot in the dark and assume it's this one. Now that I think about it, this is less of a call-out of Tachi getting it right. And since Matt brings it up, this is a call-out that everyone who didn't manage to guess this is really <laughs> on you. Because we kind of gave you all the fucking ammunition you needed in previous episodes so well, I guess if you this, were listening you would have guessed i guess this is on you uh hannah j underscore 13 because they guessed mothman of course yep sorry but you should have been paying better attention to our podcast if you were you would know we have already talked about mothman and we'll never do it again you know i don't think we specifically talked about mothman himself just mothman adjacent well, one of the things we talked about when we were talking about Mothman adjacent things was Mothman himself. Maybe we'll do a Mothman episode. I shouldn't say that. That's just going to open the door for that. more harassment. It will be after uh, Peter finishes the rest of My Little Pony. Uh, again, in other news, this we is already, the last We already said that that would happen if it was suggested to us by a fan. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Did we say a single fan, or yes. I think we put higher conditions than just a single fan? No, it just requires someone to ask for it, Peter. You said it, I'll pull up the recording. I'm going to go back and re-listen to that episode, because I don't believe my condition was <laughs> one single person asks for it. suppose that just about wraps it up. So, thank you so much for tuning in to uh, this week's episode of What Is My Podcast About? You can find us on all podcast streaming services you can find us on youtube you can follow us on instagram if you have any questions concerns uh suggestions uh feel free to reach out to us at our email of what is my podcast about at gmail.com and uh, we'll be up again in another two weeks time when we will be talking about something else uh that's something else being something that I'm not entirely sure of. What will we be talking about? I'm going to keep it hush-hush, but you're going to have to ask yourself, do you really want to, do you really want to taste it?